Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast with me, your host, Dr. Morgan Anderson, clinical psychologist, relationship coach, love expert, creator of the ESL relationship method, and athletic wear connoisseur. My mission is to help you raise your self-worth, have great relationships, and step confidently into the next level of your life. Each week, two episodes will air featuring expert advice, live coaching, and tips showing you exactly how to improve your life and attract great relationships. You deserve to feel empowered, secure, and loved. So buckle up and let's get vulnerable. Do you feel like you keep dating people who won't commit and you've struggled in your dating life? You've gone through all these breakups, or maybe you've even struggled to consistently date and stay in the dating game. And you are actually the one who struggles to commit and let your walls down. I know how exhausting this can be when you have this desire on your heart that you really want that partner, that best friend, that person to build a life with, and yet your dating life is just going nowhere and you can't seem to find a person to build a healthy relationship with. I just know how frustrating that is. And I was able to take everything I know from clinical psychology and attachment theory research and NLP belief work and build a program that can help you no matter what your past has been, even if you've never had a healthy relationship before in your life, this program will help you become the securely attached, healthy, high self-worth version of you who effortlessly attracts that partner that you've always wanted. So spots are really limited. We can only take a small amount of people every month. And I want to invite you to not wait on your healing. Love is for those who are willing to be brave and do the work And you are so deserving of removing the barriers to everything you desire. So I just want to invite you, apply to the Empowered, Secure, Loved program. You get coaching with me and you will be able to embody that version of you that you deserve. And spots, once again, are super limited. So make sure you apply. You can find the link in my Instagram bio. My Instagram handles Dr. Morgan Coaching, and the link will also be in the show notes. I'm so excited for you to embody that healthy, securely attached version of you. You are so worthy of it. Welcome to an episode of the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Dick Schwartz, the founder of Internal Family Systems. And we're so excited to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Morgan. Really excited to be with you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to our conversation. I want to give the audience just a little bit of information about you. If you're not familiar with Internal Family Systems, um, it's an incredible framework. So I encourage you to all research it, look into it yourself. Um, but a little bit about Dr. Schwartz. He began his career as a systemic family therapist and an academic, 
Grounded in systems and thinking, Dr. Schwartz developed internal family systems in response to clients' descriptions of various parts within themselves. He focused on the relationships among these parts and noticed that there were systemic patterns to the way they were organized across clients. He also found that when clients' parts felt safe and were allowed to relax, the clients would experience spontaneously the qualities of confidence, openness, and compassion that Dr. Schwartz came to call the self. He found that when in the state of self, clients would know how to heal their parts. So such a a revolutionary framework. And I'm looking forward to this conversation. Tell us a little bit about, I mean, I know it says here a bit, but how, how did you come to doing this work and coming up with this framework? Yeah. So as you said in the intro, I, I was a pretty ardent, uh, kind of obnoxious family therapist. There were a lot of us back then because we thought we'd found the Holy Grail and that people who were mucking around in the intrapsychic world were wasting their time because we could change all that by just reorganizing these families structures. And I decided to prove that by doing an outcome study in the early 80s and with a population of bulimic kids and found that it wasn't true, that we could reorganize the families just the way the book said to. And still a bunch of my clients kept binging and purging. And out of frustration, I began asking why, and they started to talk this language of parts, which was pretty foreign to me at the time, because like most people, I thought, you know, we have one mind that has different thoughts and emotions, but they were talking about these parts as if they had a full range of personalities inside. And at first I got scared. I thought maybe they were sicker than I thought, you know, maybe they had MPD, multiple personality, DID, yeah. But then I started listening inside myself and, oh my God, I've got them too. And some of mine are as extreme about food as theirs. And so then I calmed down and just got really curious. Uh, And I was fortunate. I had a couple clients who were really articulate about the whole thing. And uh, as you said in the intro, I was not only interested in each part, but I also was interested in all their relationships and the patterns within clients. And so I began mapping them out with the help of my client. And I think I was I had an advantage over other people in that I really had no presumptions about what I was learning because I had so assiduously avoided learning about psychoanalysis or any of the other frameworks at the time. So I really had to listen carefully to what my clients were saying and believe them. And that was like a, a, a big advantage because I learned that, number one, it's normal to have these parts, that it doesn't mean you're, you're crazy, that uh, we're born with them, and they're all valuable. There aren't any bad ones, which was the title mm-hmm. of my last book, No Bad Parts, uh, which was shocking to me, actually, because I initially made the mistake most people make, which is to assume the critic is this bundle of parental interject nastiness and 
And the binge is this, you know, out of control impulse. And when you think of them that way, then you're going to fight with them or you're going to try to control them. And uh, that wasn't working. That was making them worse. Mm-hmm. So out of almost out of frustration, I gave up that approach and just asked what what they want. And they started teaching me that they're not what they seemed and that they're these really good, valuable parts that were forced into these roles that they're in. By what happened to you in your in your history, especially in your childhood, and that uh, that was the big turning point in the history of the model was when I finally, out of frustration, got tired of fighting with them and and just got curious, and mm. so that's what I learned that we're born with them; they're all valuable. Trauma and attachment injuries, which I know is one of your big expertises, mm-hmm. uh, force them out of their naturally valuable states into roles that can be destructive, but maybe were needed back during the trauma. And they, mm-hmm. they get frozen in that time, so they think you're still five years old. And they still think they need to protect you that way. Mm-hmm. And they also now carry what I call burdens, which are these extreme beliefs and emotions that came into you during the trauma and attach to these parts, almost like a virus, and then mm-hmm. drive the way the part operates thereafter. And so that would all blew my mind. I had no clue about any of it. And, uh, you know, I started to try to get my clients to actually listen to the parts rather than fight with them. Mm. And, and that was challenging because maybe I'm having you, Morgan, work with your critic, which most all of us have one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm trying to get you to listen to it, and suddenly you're furious with it. And it reminded me of family sessions where I'm trying to have two family members talk to each other, and a third one jumps in and screws everything up. And as family therapists, we would learn to ask that third one to give us some space and relax back in the room. And so I began to ask, I would say to you, Morgan, could you find the one that hates the critic? And could you ask it to just relax in there for a few minutes? And now how do you feel toward the critic? And it would be an entirely different answer. Whereas seconds earlier, you hated it or were terrified of it. Mm-hmm. As we get that to open space, suddenly you're curious about it. You're calm relative to it. You have confidence with it and even have compassion for it out of the blue. And when you're in that state, the conversation with the critic would go well because it would relax and it would share its secret history of how it got forced into this role mm-hmm. of trying to get you to behave or trying to get you to not take risks by tearing you down or whatever its positive intention was. And you would increasingly, as you listen to it, uh, appreciate it for trying at least to keep you safe. And as it felt appreciated, it would soften even more and could reveal uh, what it was protecting inside. And then we would 
negotiate permission to go to that and heal that. So, um, so the big deal about IFS isn't just this idea that we have parts and they're all valuable and they're forced out of their roles, but that there is this other person inside of us who, once the parts open space, comes out spontaneously, can't be damaged, is just beneath the surface of these parts, and knows how to heal inside and outside. And as I was working with clients, and I might say, Morgan, what part of you is that? They'd say, that's not these parts. That's not a part like these others. That's me. That's myself. So Mm -hmm. I came to call that The Self with a capital S. And it turns out that that is in everybody, and that that is covered over by these parts. But once they uncover it, it it uh, that's the big yeah. deal about IFS that that's in there, and it can There's, be accessed yeah. that quickly. There's so much of what you're saying that overlaps with my approach when I work with clients, and I think. Of course, there's different terms. Mm-hmm. Um, the self I would refer to as your your highest and best self, right? Um, and it's it's so wonderful to realize that that is there within mm-hmm. all of us, right? And it's it's simply doing the work to allow the self to to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you mentioned the critic. Do you have a list that you could share with us? Because I know the audience is going, oh my gosh, what parts do I have? So okay, do you sure. have a list of some of the common parts for all of us? Yeah, again, these uh, this list will be of the common roles the parts have been forced into, not who the parts yeah. are the, uh, without the role. But, you know, I, again, I'm a systems guy. So as I'm hearing about all this, I'm looking for patterns and distinctions. and the biggest distinction that's held up all these years, 40 years, this is the 40-year anniversary of, of discovering this. Thank it's you. amazing. The biggest distinction is between parts that before they were hurt, you would think of them as these, these inner children who are so delightful and playful and loving and open and creative. But once they do get hurt, or once you get hurt, they're the ones that get hurt the most because they're also the most sensitive parts of us. And so they then carry the burdens of worthlessness or terror or emotional pain, things like that. And once that happens, they have the power to overwhelm us with their feelings and so we don't want to be around them. So, and everybody around us tells us to just move on. Don't think about those memories anymore. Just let it go. Mm-hmm. So we tend to lock away those parts, the what we call those exiled parts, just because they got hurt and try to live our life such that they never get triggered again. Because if they do get triggered, it's like flames of emotion going to consume you. So, and then once you have a bunch of exiles, you feel more delicate. The world feels more dangerous because so many things could trigger them. 
So a, a lot of other parts are recruited to become protectors. And some of them protect you in an ongoing way. They kind of are what we call the ego. They're, they're running your life. And so some of them maybe are monitoring your relationships and making sure no one gets close enough to hurt you again or no one gets too distant so you don't feel abandoned. And others uh, try to make you look perfect so that you get you, no one rejects you and they can be very critical. So that's one class of critic. Uh, others are pushing you hard to achieve a lot to counter the worthlessness. Mm -hmm. So, and they also can be very critical. So there's a whole lot of different, what mm -hmm. we call manager parts that become critics a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Some of them are criticizing you, like I said earlier, to run down your confidence so you stay small and you don't take any risks. Uh, but they're all just trying their best to keep you safe. And then others, uh, and this is particularly true for socialization of women, try to take care of everybody and don't let mm -hmm. you take care of yourself. Uh, so I could go on and on about typical, yeah, what mm -hmm. we call manage manager parts. Yeah. Some of them keep you a little dissociated from your body so you don't feel too much or keep you in your head so you only think you don't mm -hmm. feel and so on. But what they have in common is this desire to keep the exiles contained by controlling both your body and the outside world. Mm. So managers are big into control. They like pleasing people. When, that, when all that doesn't work and an exile does get triggered, it's a big emergency. It does feel like you might die. Mm -hmm. you know, it feels there's the, the emotion is so scary. So there's another set of protectors who immediately go into action to deal with this emergency in an also often a very impulsive way. And mm -hmm. the goal now is just to get you out, get you higher than the flames of emotion or douse mm -hmm. them with some substance or distract you until they burn themselves out. And so we call these firefighter protectors. And uh, like I said, in contrast to the managers who are trying to keep everything under control and please everybody, mm -hmm. firefighters often take you out of control and piss off everybody around you. But mm -hmm. they think if they don't do this, th th terrible things are going to happen. Mm -hmm. and, and so they don't care about the collateral damage to your body, to your relationships. They just know they've got to save your life this way. Right. So lots of the addictions and mm. all kinds of uh, rage sometimes or dissociation are these firefighters. Yeah. So that's the map. It's pretty simple. Uh-huh. The main distinction is between exiles and protectors. And then within protectors, there's the managers and the firefighters. Mm. Yeah, definitely fascinating. I think the the listeners are all thinking about how this applies to them and, and what it looks like. And I think one of the 
places my brain goes, which you already mentioned, this is the attachment wounds and our attachment styles and how that relates to this model. I'm particularly interested in disorganized attachment, right? That we see correlated with childhood trauma. Um, because I'm imagining that that is just a very dis dysregulated system that has a lot of different approaches going on. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm curious your thoughts on a disorganized attachment style and kind of how that would relate to this model. Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> I always have trouble with the regulated idea because it's just a different way of regulating. I mean, mm -hmm. these, these parts are doing their best to quote unquote regulate you when right. it feels so scary. And so it's not necessarily dysregulated. It's just extreme and they're using extreme methods to regulate. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like a, it's, to me, it's like a unhelpful or chaotic form of regulating, even though it is regulating, it's yeah. not our highest and best self, right? You know, it's, it's, yeah, but uh, again, it's what we know how to do, right? Well, it's what our parts learned how to do when they, when you were five years old. And right. Yes. Because they still are stuck back there. They think they still need to do it. Right. And so what I'm trying to bring to psychiatry and psychology is all of these diagnoses are just descriptions of common uh, patterns that parts mm -hmm. are stuck in. And so I'm trying, for example, to get the field of addictions to go to the addict part and not try to control it, but try to honor it for its service, like you might the military. Mm -hmm. and and love it up and then learn what it's protecting and then get permission to go to that mm -hmm. and then heal the parts that are still living back when you got hurt and get them out of there and help them unload the feelings and beliefs they carry. And then the addict part doesn't need to do this anymore. It'll do something entirely different. That's all that's much more mm -hmm. valuable. So it's yeah. really a, a model of liberation of, of these parts from the roles they got forced into. And that, that goes for all the personality disorders. We've done this model with all kinds of attach heavily uh, heavy attachment wounded parts mm. and people. And it's just a very different paradigm for understanding all of that. Right. It makes me think of back to Carl Rogers, like at the very beginning, right? Radical, radical self-acceptance. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. 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 Is there yeah. some is there some overlap with Gestalt therapy approaches and what you're talking about? Yeah, you know, I had uh, uh, heard about Gestalt when I was in grad school before I got into this, and they they had the open chair technique, and mm -hmm. so you would be talking to your top dog part and so on, and but I thought it was all a kind of metaphor, and uh, and I think they did too. But yeah, the idea that there are parts and you can talk to them, uh, Gestalt was into as as well as something called psychosynthesis. And mm. so there were a number of models that were fooling around with multiplicity mm -hmm. back in the day. And Jung also mm -hmm. uh, 
with what he called complexes and archetypes. Right. It's all all the same territory, really. Mm-hmm. And you've really taken it to another level of um, defining it and building the frameworks and, and models for understanding it. Yeah, and I brought systems thinking to it, which yeah. the others the others really hadn't. And uh and this discovery of self is really like I said, the big deal about IFS. So that yeah. um it isn't just, you know, finding and listening to the parts a little bit, but it's releasing this inner leader who, in contrast to Carl Rogers, where you just are accepting you're not help you accepting them isn't helping them that much it's it, what helps them is getting them out of the roles they're stuck in and to do that you have to see what happened in the past so you become a witness to your own history and then i might say to you morgan now i'd like you to go to that little girl and be with her in the way she needed somebody at the time mm. so i'd have you as yourself enter that scene and maybe hold her, that little girl, during the time, and maybe even yell at the your parent who was hurting her for her. And then when she was ready, take her out of that time to us to the present often, at which point she'd be happy to unload the feelings and beliefs, the burden she got back there. Mm. At which point she would absolutely transform. And become a happy inner child part that mm-hmm. that uh, loves loves giving you lots of joy and playfulness. Yeah, what I love about this approach is is similar to what I do with clients, which is this idea that we can't just do like a cognitive behavioral approach because it's simply too surface level. So this idea of you do have to be a witness. Mm-hmm. to your past, as you're talking about, and a, a witness to the wounding that you've experienced mm-hmm. and that you actually do have to have corrective experiences for that past trauma. Um, I think it's really important in this day and age when people do just want a quick fix or they just want to be different or they mm-hmm. just want to think different to acknowledge that we really can't heal unless we are willing to revisit those wounds and and sit with them and show up. I would think of it as, can you show up as your highest and best self or your ideal parent in those moments? And, and how would you show up for, for you in those moments? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like we're in the same ballpark with that, Yeah, which, you know, is different from a lot of attachment based therapies where uh, you you might do the witnessing, but the therapist would be the the good attachment figure because basic attachment theory says you don't have any of this stuff inside of you unless you had it got it in a relationship mm-hmm. and and so what I found is that's just not true that I love attachment theory, but that particular assumption is just wrong. Because we're born with the self, and it knows how to heal. And so the goal becomes for self to become the good attachment figure rather than the therapist or your spouse or someone like that. So that if you can do that for yourself, 
then your partner can be a secondary attachment figure, but you're the primary one, which is what I wrote about a a lot in this book. Uh, You're the one you've been waiting for. Right. Right. Yes. I, I full heartedly agree. And, you know, honestly, this was one of the things that sort of led me away from the traditional psychotherapy approach that I was in. And now I'm in the coaching world and have created programs. And part of it was this empowering approach that you're talking about is that people really can heal themselves. They just need to do work that's deep enough Mm -hmm. that allows them to do that. And I do have a huge focus on belief work, which Mm -hmm. is kind of what you're talking about as well. And, um, so yeah, I just love, let's talk about that. How traditional psychotherapy almost takes away some of the, oh, I mean, we love it. And some approaches can maybe take away a client's opportunity to heal themselves and show up as the highest and best self. What, what would you say about that? Well, I think that's true. I don't want to minimize the healing that takes place. So you can do a lot of healing in a secure relationship with a therapist who is being this good attachment figure that will help your parts feel a lot better and in some cases unburden. But you will still feel uh, very dependent on that therapist. Your parts will attach to that person mm-hmm. and rather than to yourself. And when you go out in the world, those parts will attach to a, an external person first. That'll be their primary attachment figure. And there are relationships that can work out even with that, I mean, with that kind of system. But that, if, if you see your partner as the one who can make these exiled, formerly exiled parts of you feel better, that puts a lot of pressure on your partner to always be nice and loving yes. and caretaking. And, and when your partner isn't like that, uh, there can be a big, big internal re- reaction Mm-hmm. from those exiles and then your protectors get into it and uh, yeah just to add to this because it's not then only about the relationship it's also about your well-being because your well-being was wrapped up in your partner's approach to you exactly. so that's why it can just be a disproportionate response a lot of times that's right and then your partner's saying what the hell you know where is this coming from and so, and and then your protectors will go into what I call one of four different projects. So either they'll try to get your partner to change and focus a lot of, not always anger, but just manipulative ways to get them to behave again and take care of your exiles. Or... They'll try to get you to change, but with the same goal. So your partner is nice to you again. So get you to quit yelling or get you to lose weight or whatever they think is necessary to have your partner back into the role of your redeemer. Or if that doesn't work, start to think, well, 
this was the wrong partner, that that Redeemer is still out there somewhere. Start looking around. Oh, oh you're describing my 20s. <laughs> and if that yeah. if you get burned enough times, then you kind of give up on a human being and you start thinking, yeah. I'll just, you know, get into work in a big way or you become hyper independent. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I always talk about secure attachment, uh, that it's very important to become securely attached to yourself mm -hmm. first. Yeah. So this really aligns with that piece. Very much. That That's the whole goal of IFS is, well, there are four goals. One is the liberation of these parts from the extreme roles they've been forced into to be who they're really designed to be. Mm -hmm. The second goal is for those parts to come to trust self as a leader. And the third goal is for the parts to get to know each other better and start to work in harmony and uh, and get along and work together, at which point you feel more integrated, even though the parts don't disappear. You just don't notice them as much. And then the fourth goal is to lead your external life more from self with those C word qualities. So when I was doing this and I would notice it would be almost like the same person would pop out uh, in different clients as I got these parts to open space, I cataloged the qualities that would show up. And the eight C's. The eight C's. Yeah, I mentioned four of them already, which are calm, confidence, curiosity, and compassion. But also people would suddenly become very clear in terms of how they were seeing things or very creative where they were stuck before. Now they have creative solutions for things or mm -hmm. they would feel connected in a way to the other person that they didn't before. Or I always forget one. What's the eighth? Courageous. They would feel uh, they would have the courage to have conversations they couldn't have before or to go places in the inner world they couldn't before. So mm -hmm. those are the, what we call the eight C's of self. And uh, those C words have held up really well over the 40 years I've been doing this as the, the main qualities that apply to the healing endeavor. There are other qualities of self like joy and uh, uh, playfulness and patience and so on. But, those eight C's have held up well. I love it. Those are all those are all qualities that that we need, and um, I can definitely relate to that. It's it's funny. I use the term getting into alignment, which I think also mm -hmm. could be replaced with being integrated, mm -hmm. but being in alignment with the highest and best self and mm -hmm. and the self, right? I think. Um, it is amazing to see how when you can get there, every, all the problems that somebody would come to you with, you know, it all can dissipate because if you are truly leading yourself from that place, mm -hmm. you can self-heal and you know how to move through whatever comes your way, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can also relate to your partner in a way that calms everything down. and. Uh, and, you know, you're not a mush ball. You're, you're standing up for yourself because you have 
courage and clarity and confidence, but you're not doing it from a place of judgment. You're doing it with that C-word compassion also. So you're speaking for your parts to your partner. Like, you know, what you said just a second ago hurt this little one inside of me. And I'd prefer that you not say that, but you're saying it from a different place than this protector who comes in and says, how could you have said that to me? Didn't you see how much that would hurt? You know, so it produces a different way of communicating and relating in relationships also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, allowing for clear boundaries while also opening space for deep connectedness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And self is contagious. So even if my partner is in a big protector, if I can just stay in self and not match the energy, that that will pull for herself. And, I'll st- you know, it's hard because her... Pr- in my marriage, her protectors are pretty uh, powerful. But if I can just stay steady that way, that protectors calming down and separating from her and letting herself emerge, and then we could have a very different kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. So powerful. You can model it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What What would you say to someone who is listening to this and they're going, Oh my gosh, I really need to look at this. Where do I start? Is there something that they could do just to even get started after listening to this episode? Well, there are three books that I've done that uh, apply to what I'm talking about. One I've mentioned is called you're the one you've been waiting for and is published by sounds true. And is the, the second version of that just came out. And uh, that's the one that applies to relationships the most. And then uh, I fairly recently did a book called No Bad Parts, also published by Sounds True, um, which includes some of the spirituality of it. And people really like that one too. And, and these are written for the public. And then there's another book called An Introduction to IFS. Mm-hmm. which um, is written both for therapists and for the public. So that's where I would start. And I'm at a place, you know, I've been at this 40 years, like I said, and mainly been focused on training therapists in this. Mm-hmm. And have gotten to the point where it's become really popular and where I I want to bring it to the public in a more direct way. So we're talking about podcasts, not podcasts, um, apps and mm. and other kinds of books and that's great so that's all in the process yeah that's great well this is kind of a personal question but 40 years is a long time and i'm, I, I'm very old yes <laughs> no <laughs> that's what you're asking <laughs> no 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 i i admire that you have built this career especially in a space that is notorious for burnout and I wanted to just ask you, what's your big why and what, what keeps you showing up and creating new things? Oh, that's, that's a good question. So the why is, you know, very early on uh, with the story I was telling you about clients t- teaching this to me. And, and then when I 
ran into what I call self, I really got the big vision of this. I thought, if this pans out, that this is in everybody and can be accessed this quickly and when accessed really starts to harmonize things, that's a big deal. That could really change everything. And, you know, at the time I was kind of lost 32-year-old kid and thought, boy, I hope the person who can take this where it's supposed to go comes along because it's not me. But, but you're the one you've been waiting for. Turns out I'm the one I was waiting for. And uh, and that vision of possibility has carried me all these years and mm. still does because it was really rough in the beginning. I got attacked by analysts and uh, also by my family therapy colleagues as being having sold out. So Ugh. sometimes people in the field are the worst when you have ideas that are outside the field. I know what that's like. Yeah. Wow. Well, I love that you at, at your core know that this has been helpful to people. And that it seems like that's kind of what keeps you going is knowing that, you know, more and more people need access to this information as well. And writing a book, I wrote my first book uh, last year, and I know that it's no easy feet, especially putting it into a way that's accessible to people mm -hmm. and making it a easy read. So yeah. um, I love that you've been able to do that multiple well, times. Congratulations on yours. And uh, yeah, it's challenging. I, I actually love writing. I, I don't have time for it anymore. It's really a loss for me. But mm -hmm. that's a lot of the just focusing and putting it on paper brings a lot of new ideas. I, I bet you found that too. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I miss it. Mm. I hope you can get back to it someday soon. Me too. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. I think the audience is really going to love this interview. And um, I love that there's so many things that I relate to you on in terms of this approach. Is there one last thing you would want people to know maybe if they're if they're struggling in their relationships or they're they're struggling to be connected any last words of wisdom you would say to someone um yeah with relationships and connection uh we didn't get into this too much but if you can access this place of self not only do you feel more connected to your parts but you feel more connected to the divine in a way, because for me, self is a piece of that. And that can hold you through lots of lonely times, just to know that you aren't alone at that level. And, and then once you get that, you have an easier time of actually going to the parts that you typically fight with or hate in this open, loving way. And that actually um that practice by itself can become a life practice that even if you're still lonely you you, you know that uh, you're not alone beautiful well we may have to have you back and go into that more in depth in the future because that's something i've been talking about more too is the spirituality mm -hmm. side of it yeah and just how that that inner that relationship to self Mm. is divine right yeah. and 
Yeah. So, and, and you said you go more into that in your book, No Bad Parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where it is the most. Yeah. And I, I think there's some other things on our website, which is uh, ifs-institute.com. Oh, wonderful. I was just going to ask you how people should um, connect with you and connect with your work. Is that mm-hmm. the best place, the website? Uh-huh. Yeah, the website. There's a variety of paths off of the website. Yes, I know you also have an Instagram page. You know, I don't know anything about it. I have something <laughs> that posts because I'm not on Instagram. Yes. So. Well, it's great. Oh, good. Um, and, and obviously the books, the books are wonderful. So if you enjoyed this interview, I would definitely encourage you to go check out the books. I'm sure they're on, they're on Amazon and everywhere books are available. Mm-hmm. So go, go check out the books. You're the one you've been waiting for. No bad parts. And then introduction yeah. to. Internal family know, systems internal family systems. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. This has been such a great interview. Thank you, Morgan. Thanks for doing what you do. Yeah, of course. And to everyone listening, we're wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. Until next time. You guys, thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate each and every one of you. The best way that you can thank me is by sharing this episode on Instagram, Facebook, and making sure that you tag me at Dr. Morgan Coaching. And it would really mean the world to me if you took just two minutes to leave me a five-star review on iTunes. This podcast is not free to produce, And the more that you help this little show grow, the more people will have access to this valuable information. So until next time, I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. Thank you for being part of this community.